I thought it, was no, it would be no harm to start by quoting a, a tweet from my former colleague and dear friend Charlie Bird that he put up last night. He said, I am pulling my hair out today for the people of Pakistan. In 2005, I spent weeks there covering an earthquake which killed over 80,000 souls. I never forget the images that I witnessed, and today the people there are suffering another catastrophe. I wish I had a voice. Charlie will always have a voice. Um, but it's, <clears throat> it's, it's part of the backdrop, it's part of the context to our um, conversation here this morning. Um, and we, we've, as we know, I mean, it could be Pakistan we're talking about, we could be talking about California, we could be talking about Southern Europe seeing the effects uh, of climate change. Uh, we have that intensifying climate uh, crisis. We also have, and this is, I suppose, the thing that really has hit us so hard uh, this year in the last six to eight months, the, a massive el escalation in the cost of hydrocarbons, which, if you like, is a consequence of the, it, the massive human uh, misery and, and drama of the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. So the time is very appropriate. The subject is very appropriate. And Stephen, as we were saying earlier, the context is at the present time, the, the massive crisis where energy is concerned and also what's happening in Russia now. We know that there are big objectives like zero carbon by 2050 to get halfway there, at least in this country, by 2030. Does what's going on, particularly in, East, in Eastern Europe and the consequences and the fallout from it, does it make the achievement of, of those objectives uh, more urgent or is it like, what I'm saying is, is, is it likely that we'll be moving faster towards achieving them or delaying? Um, perhaps it's a mixture. If you recall the last financial crisis, you know, the whole climate finance agenda was really taken off. And actually that got delayed because of that financial crisis. It stopped, it shuddered. A lot of things shuddered, but it really shuddered. Uh, and then it took a, a while again. 2015 was a key one, the Paris COP, or the Paris, uh, the, the copy in Paris. I think this time around, Sean, what's quite interesting is that you have your own, everything's gonna stop, we need to get back into fossil fuels, we need to increase that. Mm -hmm. But there's also recognition that that has to be done. It has to be done for the short term, because fundamentally it's about people, heat, livelihoods, mm -hmm. Uh, and there's a recognition around that. You then throw in a, an emerging debt crisis at a global level. Sri Lanka's just tipped. We can see other countries are going to tip as well. You look at inflation, look at low uh, cost of living and so on. So we're at that perfect storm. But within that, there's a recognition that this will pass, but the sustainable finance or climate finance agenda, the train has left the station and it will actually use this now as an accelerator, I believe, as my colleagues around the world, what we do, to really now move forward into deploying more capital into alternative energy support uh, uh, infrastructure, the type of things that Cathy just mentioned. So it is that point, unlike 2008, 2009, like Genie Mac had to pause, it's now Genie Mac, we need to double down on this, okay? In the short term, yes, but in the medium, long term, we need to actually get these products and services out to finance more of this uh, activity. So that's what we're seeing, Sean, at a global level. Emma Jane, coming back to NTMA, I mean, you've got your own, um, I won't say freshly minted, but relatively recently uh, established policy on climate change, embracing the whole organization. Just what are the main points of that? Um, yeah, thanks, John. So one of my first, I suppose, deliverables uh, in, the new, in the new role was to work through the NTMA's climate action strategy. And it's worth saying as well, you know, it wasn't starting from scratch. There's really been a lot of work going on in the different parts of the organization for, for many years. And really my role is sort of bringing a lot of it together. Um, 
but there was, uh, I suppose for an organization like NTMA, we have two key objectives as part of our climate action strategy. And that is, I suppose, firstly, to continue to lead on sustainable finance. Um, I talked about sort of our history as a sustainable and responsible investor. This has been something that we've been doing for many years. Um, and the second is to become, a, a, I suppose, a sustainable and environmental organization ourselves in terms about how, both in terms of what we do and, and how we do it. Um, and we've distilled our climate strategy down into sort of four key goals that reflect the need to act now. You know, like Stephen has talked about the, the urgency, um, uh, the, you know, in terms of climate. And um, uh, and the four goals neatly spell need, uh, which helps me on a panel like this. Um, so the first one being net zero. As I mentioned, we want to be uh, a sustainable organization and a net zero organization by 2030. Um, this is sort of driving all uh, business decisions you know that is something that our board is very very focused on um, the second is about embedding and integrating sustainability and climate action into all our all our business decisions that is part of the conversation that is not happening just in I suppose certain teams around the building but actually uh, permeating you know kind of all relevant conversations um, the third is about engagement, and obviously there's no point in trying to drive this. You can't do it on your own. You need to be engaged with, uh, for us, at the public sector, um, parts of the public sector, parts of the private sector, um, you know, uh, our external colleagues all around the place. There's always been a great network on the sustainability side, but it's beyond that um, uh, as well. Um, and also the fourth point is around disclosure. So this spells out need, and I've been, I suppose, a long advocate of disclosure and transparency. Um, it's a scary place to be if you're trying to communicate your sustainability journey because you have to be comfortable with a certain amount of unknowns and for an organization like NTMA that's not really a comfortable place for, for us to be but it's important to communicate I suppose your ambition um, uh, how you're progressing against it and it comes back as well to our leadership role we feel we can provide um, you know we're doing it and being, and being you know transparent about it we can help others on so it's journey. disclosure about what you're doing yourselves as opposed to maybe imposing <laughs> it on people where you would place funds uh, uh, well I, yes just, yes well, both maybe so when i'm talking about disclosure today I'm, I'm really talking about you know we have um ice produced its first climate report last year we've put our our climate strategy publicly online um you know we included uh, sustainable uh, metrics and, and climate metrics for the first time in our annual report so you know it's about i suppose uh, being transparent about our journey but to your point um about I guess engagement you know what so that you know one of the I suppose the the greatest way that NTMA can influence um, is really by engaging with its investors and its investees and its counterparties and really you know ensuring that sustainability and climate is part of discussions with them as well also obviously that's a key part of how we yeah. embed it. Cathy how, how closely would AIB capital markets interrogate its potential um, if you like, business partners about you know how how genuinely committed they are to climate change, to sustainability, because yeah. we do hear a lot about greenwashing, and that maybe that's something that you might address. Yeah, 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 and I, I know uh, the, the panel will, will have uh, plenty to say around that. I mean, first of all, um, we we take very seriously, I guess, uh, those conversations with customers around you know whether they're they're running a sustainable organisation and and looking forward, not just today, but in 10 years' time. And even we've, with regulatory requirements, I was just talking to Hillary there um, um, earlier about uh, requiring to do an assessment in, in all of our credit applications now um, for each company 
as to what their risks might be. So it is a very serious conversation and uh, uh, one that we're, we're all learning through, to be honest. Um, but we're, you know, Irish companies are taking this very seriously, irrespective of us having the conversation with them. I think it's front and centre. It's front and centre with their stakeholders and with their employees, who are very questioning indeed themselves around it. So um, around you know, the whole area of greenwashing, I guess, is it's the, the, you know, the risk that companies come out with nice statements, mm -hmm. uh, you, know, uh, you know, sort of fluffy announcements, but aren't actually doing material, you know, really science-based uh, movements on the ground. And it is a concern. It's a concern of, uh, I suppose, all stakeholders uh, uh, nationally, um, and uh, something that we're very aware of. So we're doing you know, a huge amount of work so that we feel we understand science-based targets. We understand uh, when, when companies set these targets that, they're, that, that they are real and they're stretching. Um, uh, but we're trying to encourage everybody and not just, you know, um, I suppose it's all about every, people getting on a journey. It's not really you know, for us where, where people are today, but more or less that they set out a plan. Um, I think that's really important. And might there be situations or cases or projects where you would actually be pushing an open door? Uh, yes, um, but there, there are other things that we are saying we will not finance as well. You know, we, we, are, we are making exclusion, you know, specific exclusions around activities that we feel you know, are not sustainable and that we don't want them. Do you have examples that you could t share with well, us? Well, I mean, I suppose that hydrocarbons is, is, mm. is an area, um, so we, you know, we, we do not, uh, you know, we, we have exclusions around doing mm. new loans to, to the whole hydro hydrocarbon sector. Mm. Um, and, you know, that, that may expand over time. But I think going back to the carrot and the stick, the preference is very much more on the carrot if we can, mm. because it's where you get enthusiasm, engagement, uh, positivity. I think there, there's, you know, a, few, a huge believer in, in um, a humankind to help with encouragement and energy yeah. and money behind them to solve a lot of the, the issues yeah. that we have out there on sustainability. Do, do you want to tell us, how, I mean, how big is your pot that you have available to you for investment <laughs> in sustainable projects? Um, well, Forgive sorry, my naivety. Yeah, yeah. I mean, our loan book today for renewable energy is, is around, uh, it's, it's approaching about three billion. And our ambition is for that to grow to six plus over the next five years. So very, very significant, not just in Ireland, because we couldn't, we couldn't deploy that, that amount of, of uh, capital within Ireland. It is across Europe and, and, uh, and the US as well. Um, but that's only one part of it. You know, the, the other parts, as I said, encouraging all our existing customers across the agri, across manufacturing, across every sector of society. This is also very important for us. So it's not just about building renewable energy or financing renewable energy. Emma Jane, what about the size of your pot? Can you raise them a few? <laughs> I'll meet your three billion. <laughs> um, so the ISIF is, uh, I suppose, over nine billion of assets. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's there. I was looking at your, your website last night, and it's in particular the Ireland Strategic Investment Fund. I think the amount going, and correct me if I'm wrong, no doubt you will, uh, towards um, sustainable projects is what, in the order of nine, is it 450 billion so, in yeah, recent years? So, so uh, I suppose similar to, to Cathy's point. Um, Sorry, we, million. Uh, we have, uh, there's about 450 million investments mm. made in what we, I suppose, designate to be our, our climate positive investments. Mm -hmm. So these are investments in areas such as um, 
renewable renewable energy, uh, forestry, <clears throat> um, battery storage, energy efficiency. So those type of very specific kind of climate positive, you know, it's, it's the capital mm. allocation piece of the pot. But it's worth saying as well, the climate actually permeates all our discussions about all investments, um, you know, uh, in terms of understanding different uh, investees positioning for a, for a net zero transition. So climate allocation is a very significant part of it. But um, um, you know, it does, uh, I suppose it's, it's a part of the discussion on, on, on everything as well. Right. And I mean, <coughs> the, 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 the amount there, the overall amount is well, well north of, of 10 billion. Mm. It's more probably like 15. So 450 million out of that is, is it, I won't say it's a, a small amount, but I mean, it seems to me that there's scope for a significant increase. Absolutely, and there's, we have an ambition to invest uh, one billion over the next five years mm. um, in this in you know in this area, um, and I, <coughs> you know what I would say as well that ISAF's mandate is to. Um, you know, have both to drive both commercial return and achieve economic mm. impact. And one of the ways that we measure that is actually by bringing other investors with us. So we aim to be, I suppose, a part of uh, an investment. You know, so bringing other capital with us. So our 450 million goes goes much further because we invest alongside other people. But absolutely. Um, you know that's the the target at the moment. Mm. I think we we see there's almost a, there's a whole world out there of opportunity and, and almost a, a you know a, an uncapped amount perhaps that could that could be directed towards towards climate at the moment. Stephen, come in on that because you, as you say, you're working with people in what 70 different countries. Are there are there models? Are there lessons that we can take from those that could apply could apply here? Yes, uh, but there are also those jurisdictions are also looking to Ireland to take examples of what's possible. I think the key thing, building on both, and it just happens I'm in the middle of the guys physically, but I think uh, the key thing is, unfortunately, I don't have hundreds of millions or billions, uh, which would be super to say that, but what I think what we're seeing between the two people here, Sean, is that no jurisdiction at a public sector loan can afford to finance the transition. So this is about this public-private part, and this is why this actually, the ODS series is at the heart, you can see even the speakers, it's, it's a public-private platform. And even the jurisdictions like China, or the US, or the government side, cannot finance this alone. So that's kind of a key message that I'm seeing from the guys here. If I can just say maybe for a moment, if I can pivot your question, if you don't mind, Sean, back to other jurisdictions looking into Ireland and what are they learning from Ireland. So you've seen other sovereign funds in emerging markets. Uh, look at what uh, uh, the NTMA did in the Green Bond issuance a few years ago. One of the first sovereigns in the world to do that. I can remember the, uh, being involved and watching the guys on the road trip. You didn't just have the NTMA officials on the road trip going out to, to sell the bond. You had the Department of Finance officials and your Department of Climate Action officials at the time. And that was really unusual. And then also, you know, investors saying, and forgive me, I'm Jane, but I just listening on different panels with your colleagues, where's the money going in terms of the projects? So I, I'm not sure because of COVID, it may have happened this year where you're bringing a delegation in to go visit some of those projects where the capital is going. So you have emerging market jurisdictions looking back into Ireland saying, how did you do that? And I know your colleague Mark, through the Coalition of Finance Ministers, has been on many platforms explaining that. And then the last point of information, one of the key challenges that we have in, in sustainable finance is that there's a distinct lack of talent among policymakers, regulators, and market actors on this topic. These people are amazing in themselves, but we now need to layer on what is it, how do I do it, what are the products and services. And so again, the second thing that other jurisdictions are looking into Ireland is this thing called a sustainable finance skill net. And people may have come across Skillnet Ireland in the room, they're a fantastic bunch. But it's a platform which finances companies and professionals here in Ireland to upskill in sustainable finance. In 2020, when it went live, the budget was 115,000 euro. This year, the budget is 1 million. 
And over the last two years, it's upskilled 2,400 Irish-based finance professionals in area of sustainable finance. And they give you very technical webinars to a CFA ESG 120-hour mm -hmm. course. And it's now going live with a new postgrad. I'm on the Indian government sustainable finance task force, and they'll have a report out in the next few weeks to say where's India. You say the Indian government. Indian yeah. government. Where are where are they going in terms of sustainable finance? And what was great to see on their own bat, they've recognised that talent development is a key issue for them, and they found on their own bat what's the sustainable finance skill net thing here in Ireland. So that's baked into the Indian report as a best in practice that, example. That suggests, Cathy and Emma Jane, that perhaps you might have trouble or difficulty in recruiting the kind of people you need. To make your to, to make your policies happen, to make yeah. your yeah, projects that, happen. Absolutely. I mean, uh, Steve and myself talk about this quite a lot. Um, uh, it's very it's it's very difficult to uh, recruit um, you know experienced people in this area. They're very sought after today. I know there's a course in UCD now that is snapping up graduates as they emerge. Uh, if anyone has uh, 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 children who are who are looking to pick their course, uh, it's certainly one to, to think about. Um, and the universities, I do a bit of work with Trinity, um, and uh, the, the business school there is very much uh, looking at its uh, strategy going forward to include sustainability at the heart of it. We, uh, we uh, in AIB, are sponsoring a new chair in sustainability in UCC Business School. Um, and uh, I think they're, they're, they're actually uh, searching for that post a, as we speak. So it, it is certainly a challenge. And, um, but, but you know, I think there's a huge amount that we can do to, uh, to educate ourselves uh, and our teams on sustainability, which will you know, be part of the, the solution as well. But yeah. Yeah, Jane, no, I don't know. yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, when I started in this, you could learn on the job, yeah. basically, which is certainly what I did. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, this, this area is moving at such a pace. There's such um, increased regulation. Um, you know, there's just uh, the information is coming at a, at a rate that is sort of never before been had. So not even just sustainability experts, but data analytics experts, a whole range of different types of skills to help navigate um, uh, this area to ensure that you have good data when, um, uh, I suppose, making investment decisions, but also, uh, you know, skills in sort of managing your portfolio going forward, assessing risk, climate risk being integrated as part of um, broader considerations, you know, across portfolios. So there really is, um, I, and, and oh, it's interesting for me is I think um, often uh, when I'm sort of recruiting for, for uh, is that a current team or a previous team, you really meet a lot of very interesting people from from array of different backgrounds and new courses and um, it's great to see. Mm. Yeah. On the ISAF, uh, the uh, uh, Ireland's Strategic Investment Fund uh, website, there's a, a note, a kind of a, a, it's a crawler on the bottom of the screen saying, uh, do, do you have an investment proposal that you would like to discuss with the ISIF <laughs> climate team? Contact us today. Well, okay. who are you waiting to hear from? <laughs> um, an array of all sorts of, of, of people, really. Um, uh, I think the, the important message is that the door is open. But in terms of our climate strategy, um, the types of of things we're looking at. I suppose, A, we're very aligned with the Climate Action Plan. NTMA itself has a number of different, uh, I suppose, actions or is listed as a key stakeholder within the Climate Action Plan. And the overarching uh, climate strategy is really looking at, um, I suppose, investments that help Ireland meet its 2030 targets, and then over and beyond that, um, you know, technology solutions that will help meet the 2050 targets. So there's kind of an, an immediate focus on um, maybe more renewable 
renewable energy, energy efficiency type uh, investments, and then this sort of, I suppose the important message is we're also able to take uh, a longer term view out to 2050 that's very much aligned with how we look at the world and how we view climate investments. Um, so, you know, uh, 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 the door is open. I don't know, Cathy, if you have a similar notice on your <laughs> website, but I suspect the attitude may yeah. be the same. Who, who well, yeah, it's funny, Shona. I would say the, the issue at the moment is not so much the availability of finance, but the availability of, of, of projects. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's where we, where we need to, to do more work. Um, um, but alongside, I mean, I think for, for Ireland, uh, the other sector that screams out is around agriculture and what, what we can do around mm. fostering innovation in, the, in, in, the, in that sector, which is so important to us nationally. And I think, uh, uh, you know, rather than see it as a big challenge or a big issue, we, we should and see it threat. as an opportunity. Yeah. yeah, rather than see it as a threat. And, it, you know, it is, but um, I think there's big, big opportunities there. Um, and we've seen, uh, you know, public sector doing some really good work. Um, Chagas, uh, in, in fairness, doing great work trying to uh, foster uh, innovation. They've, they've just, uh, they're, they're in uh, collaboration with a company co-op uh, called Carberry down in the south, um, mm -hmm. doing it with a model farm mm -hmm. and really, you know, trying to do great, good research in, 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 for the whole dairy but, industry. But, but Stephen, is there a sense, though, that, look, people want this transition to be relatively pain-free, um, to quote that famous slogan of the civil servants, what we want, gradual change when we want it in due course. Um, <laughs> and that, a similar approach has been taken by some of the farming or the agriculture interests, and maybe we don't have time for in due course. You know, it's why I still love Yes Minister and why I think it's so, still so funny, uh, even though it was in the 80s. Uh, I used to be in the civil service and, you know, I always loved that quote. That's, that's very brave, Minister. Um, <laughs> I always think that's fantastic. But, but I do think we do have, uh, and we're fortunate in Ireland and, and the democracy that we are in, that we do have some very forward-looking ministers in place. Uh, we are in a Western democracy and economy that actually does have capital and, and is in a vestible place. Um, but as, as Cathy mentioned there, you know, there is going to be pain here. Uh, as humankind, as human beings, we, we like to do things, as you said, that are, that are potentially pain-free. But unfortunately, if we just take a step back and look at this summer, forget about anything else before that, this summer alone, mm. you couldn't open a newspaper any day where there wasn't a climate-related tragedy happening somewhere in the world, mm. right? You know, you look at Sydney, global city, but a lot of us probably have been there, four floods in space in two years in the same area. Those houses, those people in a Western economy are now being told by insurance firms, we don't think we can insure you anymore. And so we're not, you have Pakistan and, you have, and we, we here perhaps aren't hearing so much about the emerging economy tragedies as well. So I think what we're seeing, Sean, is we're all in this together as, as mankind, as humankind. We have a role to play within that. We have a role to play within the European economy. And I think what we're seeing in the last few weeks, uh, we saw it in Holland. We saw a lot of debates, will be uh, robust debates and, 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 and uh, uh, protests. But the train has left the station. Mm. Fundamentally for me, I, I'm not in the agricultural space. I'm not looking at my family across the table and saying, what's the livelihood going to be like? So but we need to recognize that. Hence the reason why I think that term just transition is a really important one because we need to get people with us to transition. We need to be honest. We need to communicate. But we also need to show, by the way, there's capital here to support you. I'm wondering, though, um, and maybe this is to do more with the micro attitudes than, if you like, the kind of macro mm -hmm. point you're making. Some of the easily the, 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 the easily remembered objectives that we have uh, for this country is half a million houses ret retrofitted by 2030. 
a million e-cars on the road by 2030. There's a sense out there and people are sort of saying, look, not going to happen. And does that undermine the credibility of the overall project then? Because people are sort of saying, well, I know. It's, well, not, you, it's, it's not being done. If you look at it from a fact-based perspective, it's going to be tough to hit those targets right now because of you know, supply chain issues globally, mm. right? So that's, that's something that wasn't there a few years ago when the targets were set. And we're seeing factories being shut down in China right now. Even today, we're reading that. So that is a challenge that perhaps needs to be factored in. You need to have the moonshot. We in the UNDP have a moonshot of one trillion additional between now and 2025. We feel we can achieve that, but that's actually allowing us to really get out there and try and go for that. One moonshot. trillion additional what One now? trillion additional uh, dollars in support of SCG financing over the number right, of the next but years. Right, Mark Carney, I think, at the COP26 talks there, was it last year, was talking about a spend of 100 trillion between now and 2050. I mean, where's all that going to come from? Well, there's no shortage of cash. That's, we, we've never been, as a society and mm -hmm. humankind, we've never actually had so much money as we do right now. And I think what we're really beginning to see, and I think, you know, and I see Joe Harford in the corner, and Joe was good enough to chair a committee from years ago when we were looking at a thing called the Green IFSC, you know, Joe may remember I had a few wisps of hair at that point and was far skinnier as well. But, you know, that's, that's a decade in the making, right? And I would, you know, honestly say we're only really getting going now. Now, I'm exhausted. In fact, it's kind of, as, as, as James was saying, the advocacy piece. We're only really getting going now. And I think, Sean, you were alluding to earlier on what's happened in Ukraine. The regulatory piece has left the station. Cathy's mentioned that as well from a regulatory perspective. That's more the carrot right now. But you're going to see as more skilled people come in place, regulatory frameworks, you're going to see this whole sustainable finance and ESG agenda really get embedded into the full capital markets in a more accelerated way in the number of next number of years. And that will actually lead to more capital. Uh, and my final point, Sean, is the challenge we have right now is the regulatory frameworks are just being set. We have a lack of talent. We have a lack of data, inconsistent, incomparable. Those things will change in the next two, three years. And what that will lead to will be more products and services from the financial services institu institutions which will go back to what Carney is saying is, a lot of this is a new money. It's actually potentially existing money mm -hmm. that we actually need to push towards different investments. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, um, Cathy, uh, well, we leave the audience to decide that. Maybe we'll have your question <laughs> to clarify something. But <laughs> makes makes sense to me anyway. Cathy, you, you were making a point to me earlier uh, by way of email that we need to have what you call positive reinforcing circles and to avoid negative reinforcing circles. <laughs> now, translate that into plain English. What oh exactly gosh. is all uh, that about? Yeah, and I, I suppose it's, it's around the carrot. It's, it's around, so I, you know, I, I do think 500,000 homes being retrofitted, it looks like an enormous challenge. And yet, if we could, uh, you know, perhaps with, with hopefully with the, with the aid of some uh, public sector encouragement, be it through tax breaks uh, for uh, heat pumps, for instance, if we can get things going, I think, it, first of all, the, the price of heat pumps will go down over time, almost, mm. almost by definition, because more being produced. Um, also, just even tradespeople who are relatively, I don't know if anyone has tried to do it, but they're relatively inexperienced about putting in this equipment, etc. cetera. So th that will all uh, change, improve over time, and the cost will go down, which again will encourage, I think, more households in. So. I, I go back to, I mean, I was involved in financing um, wind farms back in the early noughties. And at that time, Ireland's uh, green energy uh, you know, amount was something like 3 to 5% of the overall grid. And if someone had said that you would need to get to 80% by 2030, we will, we, you know, it just was, it was not believable that that's where um, Ireland would go to. But we're at 30 to 40% today, and we have set down a very serious target of uh, 70 to 80% by, by 2030. 
and it now it's still a big challenge but it looks it looks more achievable so it is amazing what you can do when you set your mind to it but i think um certainly the state does you know is enormously helpful if it can show leadership there and it showed leadership in relation to renewable energy um, probably you know in hindsight should have done more um, but thank good you know thank goodness it did what it did um, to get us to where we are today and of course the the cost of of building wind farms has has reduced dramatically over that period um, and the size of the wind farms that are now capable of being built has increased enormously so offshore wind is the, really the big solution, I think, for renewable energy uh, in terms of volume over the next number of years. Um, and, and they can be built at, at, at scale um, if we can get planning and, and other things to fall into place. So. Emma Jane, you were nodding through uh, a lot of that with in agreement as opposed to... Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. <laughs> I'm not you of nodding <laughs> off. Right? Yeah. Um, but do, do you, do you sense the same kind of um, keenness on the part of people with projects to just, you know, to play their part as opposed to avoid their responsibilities. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, there's just been, there's been a significant shift, um, you know, in, maybe even in the last 18 months. Well, you know, you mentioned the Paris Agreement earlier, you know, probably goes back seven years and now, you know, mm. again, it's just, uh, I suppose it's, it's increasing all the time. Um, you know, people are, I think, enthusiastic, you know, there's, there's, there's an array of different types of innovation and innovative technologies. And one of the things that we certainly want to communicate is that, you know, we are open-minded. I think we've made a lot of, um, I don't want to call it maybe the, the easier options, but some of the low-hanging fruit, some of the traditional renewable energy um, uh, investments have been made, you know, sort of with the maybe green coat renewables or, or um, some of the, the wind energy, onshore wind energy. But more recently, there's been a focus on, on battery storage and energy efficiencies. Um, you know, we mentioned food and ag as well. Like this is a, a sector actually, you know, when I talk about the 450 climate, that's not actually considering a, a very substantial food and ag portfolio that ISAF has as well, where climate is a significant part of the discussion with any type of invest, uh, investee there. And, um, you know, the door is very much open on these types of discussions now in a way that it just, you know, maybe wasn't traditionally mm. going back a number of years ago. Uh, Cathy, you mentioned heat pumps there and perhaps mm. and the price of them will come down. I mean, it's astonishing, for instance, where solar panels are, con are concerned. I think it's the cost of them has fallen by about, what, 95%, if, if not even more. Yeah. Now, there may be production issues as well. Yeah. Um, and perhaps human rights issues in yes. regard to yes. who is making them and yes. the kind of terms and, and conditions that they, they endure. Um, but, you know, I suppose what I wanted to ask you is, with the budget coming up now, uh, and I suppose everybody is making their pitch, and very validly and legitimately, yeah. what about our sector, what about this need, that social need, education, all the rest of it. Are there a few things that the government could do that mightn't be that expensive that would incentivize people? Uh, um, I'd probably go for the expensive things, <laughs> Sean, to be honest. You know, I mean, I do think a a a a decent uh encouragement around retrofit home retrofit would mm -hmm. would really uh, accelerate us uh, nationally um and you know that's not a plug on behalf of aib or anything like that i i just think that 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 would be really useful um i think uh uh you know uh, going back to the grid as well uh, you know as I said, we've set out that target. I, I do think nationally there's been question marks whether that's achievable. I think we need to, 
maybe not necessarily a budget issue, but a standback issue to say, do we really have the uh, right conditions around planning, et cetera, uh, grid connections to facilitate mm -hmm. that? Because you know, if we, if we, if it's only, what, eight years away um, at this stage. So um, I, in terms of, you know, maybe, you know, I think we could perhaps uh, with businesses encourage them to start the journey. So we, we're, we're, we're trying to pilot uh, with relatively small SMEs uh, energy audits that, that they can do. Um, and actually the take up hasn't been huge so far. Um, I think people are a little bit afraid, maybe, oh God, you know, okay. I do an energy audit and it's going to say certain things and I won't have the money to invest and it's a difficult climate. So perhaps there's mm. encouragements that we can give tax incentives uh, to the SME sector to get started. Because right. I think getting started is 90% is of the battle, actually. Emma-Jane, Stephen was talking about public-private partnerships. Now, I suppose you really at, you're, you're at the interface there because you're working with an agency that has a lot of independence, uh, a, a lot of money to invest as well. And at the same time, you are interacting and you've got, I think, is it two departmental secretaries on your board of directors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're in a position to, you know, sort of, if you like, channel a lot of ideas, thoughts, information, advice. I mean, what are the, what are the kind of things you're saying to, if you like, the policy makers? Because you're, I think you said to me before, you're a policy taker that, more it's than a policy maker. Yes, it's a very important NTMA line. We're policy takers and, and not policy makers. But, but like that, we are, um, we have a commercial objective, you mm -hmm. know, uh, that's sort of fundamental to the NTMA in terms of how it manages the assets and liabilities and also provides um, advice to, to various either semi-states or, 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 or minister, ministers or projects uh, as appropriate. Um, you know, we always have our, our commercial hat on, which means that we're always, I suppose, we have a big network, you know, from as a as a sovereign fund um, that was traditionally invested globally, you know we have a, we have a significant sovereign fund network. We have a, a significant network of international managers. We've um, you know probably connected with all sorts of, of different types of advisors and banks. And and really we've always taken this sort of long term view. You're looking at the market. You're looking at um, I suppose horizon planning, uh, managing risk within a portfolio, which forces us to think long term. So always mm -hmm. delivering, I guess, that message. Um, you know, while we're invested domestically, so the ISAP has, an, has a mandate to invest in Ireland to achieve commercial, um, you know, return and economic mm. impact. But, but we can't do that by, by focusing solely domestically. You know, we need to be thinking um, internationally and bringing best practice to play. Uh, probably a good example, actually, is a recent um, partnership with Just, uh, with Just Climate, which is a generation, um, uh, generation investment manager uh, fund, which is, I suppose, internationally based, but is looking at bringing technology you know, through that partnership, we hope to be bringing and investing in technologies that will help, uh, you know, uh, I suppose, deliver, um, you know, significant climate impact for Ireland's transition. And that's the kind of message that we bring to the, you know, probably bring to the mm. table is that we, we can we, we can bring together different partnerships and maybe make things happen where there might not be capital available, you know, or maybe take a longer view on, on, on things as well. And how do you avoid a situation whereby yourselves, people like uh, AIB, capital markets, or just or regular commercial lending and the IDA, how do you avoid tripping over each other? 
Yeah. Um, well, to be honest, you know, a very important, I suppose, we don't want to replicate the role of, of anybody mm. else. Um, one of the key principles of our mandate is that of additionality, you know, that we're bringing something different to the table. We're very much, you know, we're, we're very closely engaged, you know, across, uh, uh, you know, across the spectrum of, of, of different uh, public sector um, bodies. Mm. You know, we're talking to everybody. We're not uh, operating in isolation. You know, engagement, as I mentioned, is one of our, our key pillars. So it's really really about, um, I suppose, communicating, understanding, um, I suppose, all, all of our different roles and how they interact together. And we would co-invest in equity funds together, actually, on yeah, 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 yeah. around sustainability. So. Yeah. Uh, on that note of unison, uh, it's been my honour and privilege to listen to you all, uh, Cathy Stephen and Emma Jane. And if I don't invite Gillian back to the platform, I'll be in trouble with Joe Duffy's producer. Um, <laughs> thank you all. Thank you to the panel on what has been a really thought-provoking and for me, who has worked in both these agencies that are represented on the panel, um, encouraging because the debate has moved so far in, in, in a very short number of years and these people are at the front of, of addressing that. I think we, we, can, we can see from here this could be a lot, much longer debate and I think we're ultimately just scratching the surface on the discussion that will be need to have, have to align public, private, and international financial in, in initiatives to drive the quantum of finance that will need to be delivered, not just to bring projects, but also to Stephen's earlier point about a just transition and bringing everyone with us. So I think it's key that this discussion continues. And I think obviously the shock, the current economic shock as it's evolving from energy security consideration we're all having about the economic impact on ourselves both in the short and the medium term and the longer term view of how we can sustain how we work and live are going to be key to, the, to how we think in the future. I think it will be the defining challenge of the next dec this decade and probably for decades to come and ultimately we need to find solutions in bringing and enabling the change that is required. The RDS vision series is going to continue to look at, at sectors that will enable that change um, so that we can have a, a real discussion on what's needed and where the gaps exist. So with that, I'd like to thank our expert panel, Cathy, Stephen, Emma Jane and Sean. And thank you all for being here this morning. Thank you.